There's no honor among thieves unless you are providing leverage. Are you just watching? Episode 135, Leverage Redemption, The Jackal Job. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And today we have, you know, switched back to the small screen. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting because when we did the interview on Black Adam, we were talking about an actor whom we loved, Aldous Hodge, who played the hacker on Leverage. And since we recorded on Black Adam, I've started watching the new Leverage show, which is called Leverage Redemption. And I happened upon an episode that I thought was worth discussing, actually has quite a bit of content in it. So we'll see how much we can talk about a 50-minute episode. You know, actually, I sort of remember, because I mentioned before, I think in the last episode, that I had started watching Leverage Redemption when we were talking about Leverage before. Mm -hmm. I want to say that one of the reasons that I didn't make it past the third episode and, you know, shelved it in my Watch on a Rainy Day <laughs> show yeah. was because Aldous Hodge actually only showed up in the was first only one. there for the first two, I think, was because it was like a two-parter, right? Yeah, the pilot was, yeah. And then he left his niece, I think, Brianna, behind? Well... Oh, no, they were they in were the in system together. Yeah, 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 I think it was kind of like an honorary sister kind of thing. And Aldous Hodge was one of my favorites, too. So when, when he left, I was like, uh, okay, this is interesting, but uh I'll come back later. to it later. Yeah. Aldous Hodge was one of my favorite characters, but I liked them all equally. I really liked the Parker character, and I really liked the Elliot character. Both of oh, those. Come on. When a parent says, I love all my children equally, you know they're lying. <laughs> it, well, it's just a matter of which one they like the most differs from moment to moment <laughs> right right and the fact that they still have sophie parker and elliot you know active in the story yeah. is enough to keep me hooked so i did binge the most of the first season i haven't quite finished it and i kind of stopped at the jackal job i have watched two episodes past it but I, then i was like laying in bed at night going boy there was a lot in that episode I want to. I kind of want to talk about it, and I know we hadn't really decided on a movie for December. Yeah, it was uh, sort of dry. It, well, it wasn't so much. I think it was almost we had too many options, and we none of them oh, were yeah. ones that were just like, "Oh, we're going to do that one." And none so it was kind of like, yeah, yeah. So it was just really hard to pick one over the other when they were all just kind of like the same in our level of interest. And then we've been busy, and you've had foot surgery, and it's the yep. holiday season, and it's just so much easier to talk about something we can watch on the small screen. So we're talking about uh, Leverage Redemption. I, I do want to mention before we get too far, I do always talk about music, and you know it's a little harder when you're talking about a TV show because music doesn't play nearly as big a role in TV as it does in movies. But yeah. the soundtrack for Leverage Redemption, I should mention, is by Joseph Loduca, and it works. I mean, it's not something stand out. I typically get hooked on certain themes of certain TV shows where I like actually like to listen to them. I know the Daredevil theme was one of the ones that I've actually bought the soundtrack for because it's <laughs> because really it good was music. Excellent, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
and and there's been others like that uh, going all the way back to the 80s. I absolutely still love the Airwolf theme. And I will play that one frequently. So, you know, there is so weird. <laughs> yeah, there's certain TV themes that I really like. I would not say that this theme stands out as one that I'm going to play all the time. So it works for the, the style of show it is. That's about. Didn't the Miami Vice theme actually hit number one on the charts back in the day? It might have. Yeah, that, that was back when they actually took time for titles. Now they don't do that on shows anymore. Yeah. It's like the themes have shrunk way down. <laughs> they don't spend more than 10 seconds on them. Yeah, it's like the the title screen just comes up and goes away. There's no no more Friends opening type yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, they don't do a lot of like who's playing who and and showing their face and, you know. Yep. That they just don't do that anymore, but it used to be a thing. Those of you who are not our age and that didn't sit through 80s TV probably don't know what we're talking about. And they actually... <laughs> Showing our age. They actually used to finish the shows, too. I mean, with long oh, yeah. long credits, like they do with movies. Yeah, they don't do that anymore. 1980s A-Team, <laughs> man. I'll take it. Uh, but anyway, I have always loved Leverage, and... Leverage Redemption is not, it doesn't hold a candle to the original Leverage. So if you haven't watched Leverage, I highly recommend you can watch it with ads on Amazon Prime. Most people have Amazon Prime, I think. Not everybody, but most people. That's probably why Amazon's the biggest store in the world, because everybody pays for Prime. Yeah. (laughs) But they think, hey, free shipping and video streaming. I can handle that. (laughs) There's a reason they've become so big. Yeah. So you can watch the original Leverage, all of the seasons on Freebie on Amazon Prime. You do have to watch it with ads, but it's all there. And I have, I can't remember the first time I watched it. It was after it had already finished airing. So all of the episodes were out when I started watching Leverage and I did binge quite a bit of it. It was a friend of mine who told me about it. And that and White Collar were two shows that I started watching after the fact because somebody told me they were really good. And (laughs) I... I did like both of them. They're actually kind of very similar in their humor and setup. But the reason that I think I like Leverage is because it's got that Robin Hood vibe. So I've always kind of liked the whole standing up for the underdog against the corrupt government or whatever. I've kind of liked those plots. And Mm -hmm. I, I think that Leverage does it in a very unique way. And so that's, I mean, there's been lots of shows that do that. But I think the the premise of Leverage is a little more unique than some of the others. And they really have good characters in Leverage. So you have unique characters who grow with every uh, with every episode, and they change and they develop. And I think there's even a level of redemption that goes on in their character arcs that oh, I really really appreciate. Yeah, because they all start out as bad guys, and and as they're being forced by circumstances to do good, then you know that changes people when you're when you're helping people instead of hurting people it changes your attitude towards people yeah so you you really see that as this show develops you really see how the individual characters change and how they grow closer together they're all independent actors when they when the show first starts out and they grow very close to the point where they rely on each other and they know how each other are going to react and they can depend on them and and that level of dependency and 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 familiar bonds that form between complete strangers is pretty cool. So there's lots to like about leverage, but, and we'll get into this. There are some things to not like from a Christian worldview about leverage and, and we'll get into that in a little bit. 
But I don't think Leverage Redemption is quite as good. Even though it's got redemption in the title, I don't think redemption is really as it, much of... Yeah, as it, a, it, the original series, just based on what I've seen, what little mm-hmm. I've seen, definitely seems to have more redemption in it than this one does. Especially yeah. with the, the opening line from... The opening dialogue between two of the main characters, Sophie, who was in the original series, and Brianna, who is a new character for this series. Yeah, she takes the hacker. Uh, Apparently, she's uh, Brianna is doing community service and delivering this like Meals on Wheels uh, type service. And it opens with uh, Brianna complaining, this is such a waste of time. You guys steal constantly. You never have to do community service. And when Sophie responds, she's not – she doesn't say anything about, you know, what we do, we do for good or, you know – We have to justify it. Yeah, kind of thing. She says, uh, we don't get caught. You tried to steal a watch of a councilman's brother. Frankly, you're lucky that Mr. Wilson got the charges reduced. You need to slow down, take your time, and pay attention to details. Yeah, and that'd be a better like, thief okay, and grifter. <laughs> are you teaching her to be a thief or a moral person? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and and we will get into that because that, that plays into the first theme we're going to discuss. Yeah. I think it does definitely speak towards, you know, why the leverage redemption maybe misses on a few points that the original leverage hit very well. And so I, I do think that there is, you know, a level of, I don't know, social justice warrioring going on yeah. <laughs> in the redemption, leverage redemption, because it's telling stories that have a political or social meaning instead of a, like the original leverage, like we were saying, was more of a morality play where it was teaching actual morals. and Right. More like everything had a moral of the story. Right, right. Are you finding that redemption, the lessons that they're trying to get through with the the redemption episodes are more progressive than not? Or is it a a fair mix of both? Or what are you you seeing? Well, I think that having the the young hit Brianna in the show is definitely pushing it more towards progressivism. So, and it all kind of depends on, on what cases they're taking. Okay. There was an element in the original leverage where they would stumble on cases and and in redemption, even though they're in the business of doing, you know, these cases more so than they were in the original series. Mm -hmm. I do feel like they are still stumbling on it. Like the jackal job is something they stumbled on. You know, it was like in the midst of Brianna's community service, she stumbles on this old lady who needs help. And so there is that element still of. You know, we're just helping because we stumbled on this person who has a need that is still popping up in a lot of the episodes that was that they have that in common with the original leverage. One of the original leverage shows that really sticks in my memory was the one where they're just traveling through an airport on the way back from a job and they stumble on this where they actually see somebody like exchange suitcases and they realize that it's some kind of swap and it turns out that it's a nurse delivering a a transplant heart to somebody and they just get involved in the middle of it because it turns out this heart was supposed to be going to a young boy and and this rich old man diverted it because he needed it and and it's one of the episodes that really stands out in my mind because weirdly enough they were supposedly in the cincinnati airport 
and uh, which I live outside of Cincinnati. And I know what the Cincinnati airport looks like, so I knew it wasn't the Cincinnati airport. So it always stuck in mind going, that's not the Cincinnati airport. <laughs> but it was a really good story. And, you know, it's, th- that happened a lot in Leverage, where they would just stumble on somebody who needs help. And sometimes yeah. insinuate themselves in the middle of things that they don't necessarily. And, and they were a little MacGyverish in that, in, in that, you know, they were traveling, so none of them had re- weapons on them. And they were in the middle of an airport with none of their gadgets and their flight had been delayed. So they didn't even have their luggage. And and yeah. so they were just making use of things they could steal or buy from the, the stores in the in the airport and then taking over like one of the little restaurants as their, you know, place to work from. And so, yeah, they, yeah. they were just kind of like, you know, doing what they needed to do. And I think yeah. in a way, this episode kind of fills that that slot of just taking advantage of, of the things that are around. Cause you see like Parker has really grown as a character because she was like the, almost like the juvenile. She had one yeah. gift and she was very good at it. And now she's just, she was almost quirkily autistic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get too far off of just our initial thoughts, but I, I really feel like, you know, the two shows are somewhat different. Yeah. Part of it is, I think, the loss of the mastermind character, because Nate Fort, played by Timothy Hutton, was integral to the flow and to the growth of the characters in the original show. And they've brought in Noah Wiley in a, with a new character, a lawyer uh-huh. character, in this redemption, and I don't think he quite fills the shoes. I mean, he's great. I, don't get me wrong. I love Noah <laughs> Wiley, but his character is not quite the same level. I mean, it's like nobody's looking up to him. In the show, he's kind of like almost in Brianna's place where he's like learning the ropes and learning yeah. how to do the schemes and all this kind of stuff. So he's he's definitely not the brain or the mastermind. He's just more of a thief and grifter in training. I was a little disappointed with how little screen time that he got with this episode. Yeah. Because um, I, I feel he actually brings some of the best acting chops. Yeah. I love Kane. Christian Kane? Yeah, Kane. Yeah. I love the stuff I've seen him in, but his range isn't that great. He's just really good at doing what he does. Yeah. And one of the things I haven't seen him do in in Leverage Redemption as much as is he's actually a singer as well as. Yes. So we got to see him do more musical stuff in the original Leverage, and I haven't really seen that much out of him in Redemption. He's got a really good voice. Yes, he does. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I watch TV shows, I've come to appreciate a different level of writing in television shows. You know, I I really get into shows like Sherlock and Endeavor from the BBC and Downton Abbey, where the writing is just so intricate and combined and it flows so nicely. But the writing that we get in Leverage and Leverage Redemption, for me, it's really a a callback to episode writing from the 1980s and 90s. It's got its own different type of enjoyment to it. Not only do you have to suspend your disbelief like you do with almost everything you watch, but you have to be willing to accept a level of storytelling shorthand where they make leaps of logic that are there solely to drive the plot forward. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it works for me, sometimes it doesn't. And this one's on the line for me, Redemption is. 
it, it was with the three episodes that I watched when it first came out. Mm-hmm. And this episode that we're doing now was sort of the same way. There's a lot of leaps in logic that were a little hard for me to get behind. You know, I would look at it and go, why in the world did they jump to that conclusion? Or there's no way that that would be a valid threat or something like that. Yeah. But there's other stuff in there, like the Turlington pistol is a a big element in this particular story. And I was thinking, oh, that's that sounds really cool. I wonder if the Turlington pistol is a real thing. And I ended up going down an hour-long rabbit trail. <laughs> so the Turlington pistol isn't a real thing, but the, there's an inspiration to it that turns out to be pretty interesting. And it's based on a pistol that Theodore Roosevelt actually had that was recovered from the wreck of the USS Maine. Hmm. And he carried with him when the Rough Riders took San Juan Hill. <laughs> Interesting. And there's a there's a story about how he fired it into the air as he was rallying the troops, you know. And it was stolen <laughs> from <laughs> a museum for 14 years. And it just showed up at an FBI office with no explanation. Just resurfaced out of the blue. And they never caught who did it. <laughs> yeah. And it is interesting. You know, they deal with a lot of these true things because I think there was a leverage episode where they dealt with that famous hijacking with D.B. Cooper. They yeah. did a whole episode where it was kind of a flashback episode, actually very similar to this one because there's a lot of flashback in this one where the characters become the people in the, the story of the, the D.B. Cooper. Their idea of how that came out was that the actual thief came back and married the flight attendant and then was eventually hired <laughs> by the FBI and and ran a you know the whole task force who was actually looking for him it, it was very interesting how you know they they brought that story to this day nobody knows what happened to Doobie Cooper yeah. so it's it's very interesting when you see shows speculate about a, a real life occurrence well before we continue on and discuss you know at length the things in this episode which we're already well into our discussion but yeah. we'll- we're going to plow through it. We're going to do it. But we do encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it when you are, you know, in your various social media platforms or with friends or by word of mouth. Sharing our podcast with people really, really helps us because it, it broadens our our listenership. And the more people who listen, the more reason we have to keep doing podcasts. So we, we actually see the numbers. We know how many people are listening. And just over the last year, our listenership has fallen some. And so we'd love more people to listen. And if we're doing something that is causing you to be bored and not want to keep listening, we'd love to get feedback from you on that so that we know how we can make this show better for you to keep you listening. You can join our Facebook discussion group by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash community. And you can get an invitation to our Discord community by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash Discord and Tim and I are both more active in Discord, though I know it is a little confusing for people who are coming from yeah. like the Facebook realm. They don't exactly know how it works. But if you have any questions, do just come in and say, hey, I don't, I'm here, but I don't know what I'm doing. Feel, feel free to you know, hit us up in one of the channels and we'll try and help you along. We're happy to help. Really, I think both of us are usually logged in, so we'll see uh, what's going on there. All right. So the first thing, and we've kind of dealt with it a little bit. Just want to, on the broader sense of leverage, talk about 
the Christian worldview as it applies to the concept of leverage. So the whole concept of leverage, obviously, is that you have a thief, a grifter, a hacker, and the hitter. You have these individual people who are very much just living the lives of of criminals. That's what they do. They're criminals. They break the law on a daily basis that they've spent their whole lives breaking the law. And they have a, a mastermind who comes along and uses their skills to help people against bad guys. So they actually start using their skills for good. And we see that, as you just mentioned earlier at the beginning of this episode, where you have a character who's being basically told that, you know, it's not that wrong that she was stealing. It was wrong that she got caught stealing. Yeah. So, and and Parker, who is there, the thief, she is, she has itchy fingers. I mean, she literally cannot walk through a room without lifting things from people and stealing things. She was raised from a very young child to do it, and it's second nature to her. So her redemption arc has always been, you know, learning to put things back. So she'll she'll still thieve just because she has to take things, but then she'll, well, you got to go put that back, you know, so she has to go put it back. <laughs> it, it's an, definitely an ends justifies the means kind of thing. Yeah. It's like the outcome is good. So we're going to justify the fact that they're breaking the law in every single episode. They're not doing it the right way, you know? And right. they're taking down bad guys, and they're making the lives easier for the little people, and they're not keeping the fruit of their expeditions. They're giving it away. You know, they're helping people with that money. So doesn't the ends justify the means? They're doing good, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a very Robin Hood-esque yeah. type of scenario. Not quite the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So from a Christian worldview, this is a little harder to deal with. So the first story biblically that comes to mind that a lot of people use as an example for the ends justifying the means is the story of Rahab. And so if you go back to Joshua 2, and I'm not going to read this actual scripture because it's a fairly long story, but as Joshua is bringing the Israelites into Canaan, he sends a couple spies into Jericho just to see, you know, take the lay of the land and figure out what's going to happen. And they're discovered. And Rahab hides them in her house and then lies to the people looking. No, they already left. They went that way kind of thing. And she is actually held up in scripture as a faithful person, you know, that by faith, you know, she hid the spies and, and sent them out another way. And so there's several scriptures throughout the Bible where she is held up as an example. So people yes, are then saying she's in Hebrews, right? Yeah, she's in as she's one in of Hebrews. Hearers of the faith. Yeah, and, and she's in the line of Christ because she married an Israelite and from that came Boaz and from Boaz came mm-hmm. David. So she's actually in the line of Christ. So it's held up frequently as a story of the ends justifying the means. You know, she lied to protect the spies, but she's not held up as an example because she lied. That's not ever actually mentioned. You know, it's that she hid the spies and she sent them out another way. It doesn't say she was a faithful person and we're holding her up as an example because she lied. So it doesn't say that anywhere. So it doesn't actually say that her doing bad for a good reason was right. That, you know, it's just not holding that part of what she did up as an example. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a sketchy example. And yeah, I know that that is something that Christians 
struggle with because like during the Holocaust, there were a lot of Christians who hid Jews and they had to lie to the Nazi police, you know, to hide the Jews. So is it okay to lie to bad, corrupt police to hide people, innocent people who are being arrested and sent away to be killed and in concentration and death camps? And yeah, you know, it's difficult. You know, it's, it's a tough subject. It's, it's not meant to be easy. One of the ones that has always troubled me, and I know in the grand scheme of things, it's it's not all that significant. But in First Samuel twenty one, David pretends to be crazy, mm-hmm. you know, because he's scared of what a king would do to him. Right. But God approves of it. So is God a blessing? David's lying. That never made sense to me, and I don't think I will understand it in this life. <laughs> Well, I think one of the things that we have to remember when we're looking at the Old Testament is that a lot of it is descriptive, not prescriptive. So it's not like they're saying, well, David pretended to be crazy. You go do that, too. (laughs) It's recording the historical occasion of David acting crazy, you know, or the, the historical occasion of Rahab hiding the Israelite spies. So there are multiple instances in scripture, where people who are held up as examples of the faith or as walking in, with God right. as, do bad things, but it's it's not prescriptive. It's not saying, David did this, go do that as well. It's saying, David historically, David did this. And it's more so to show that these people were human and they had feet of clay and they were sinners just like we are. So even yeah. if they are held up as examples of how sinful human beings operate within the constraints of their faith. It's not saying that because they did it, you can do it too. It's yeah, because yeah. it's it's more of a description of this is the way they behave because just like you, they are sinners. So I think a good scripture to go to is Romans 3, 5 through 8. And, you know, Paul, you know, deals with a lot of these tough questions in his epistles because he was teaching Christian living. And when he was sending these epistles to the early church, he was like answering some of these moral questions that early believers Uh had. So it's always good to go to him. So this is what Romans 3, 5 through 8 says. But if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? I am using a human argument. So this is Paul saying, I'm, I'm going to talk about this from a human angle. Is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? Absolutely not. Otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if by my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as some people slanderously claim we say, let us do what is evil so that good may come of it. Their condemnation is deserved. So it's a tough question. He's saying, my lie can glorify God, but I'm still being a sinner because I lied. Yeah. That's basically what it boils down to. <laughs> yeah, it it really does. For me, it highlights the importance. You know, the, the old saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm-hmm. But if we intend to glorify God... That is to our credit, but it really has to be to glorify God, not just to achieve glory for yourself with God. Right. And God sees the motivations of the heart. And I think that's one of the things that's left out of that a lot of times is that, you know, 
he knows why you're doing it. He knows if you get stuck in an instance where you have to lie to get out of it, he's going to condemn the lie, but he knows the reason why you did it. It wasn't that, you know, you were, you were lying to get something or, or whatever. He, he understands. It may be that Schindler's lies were lies, but what he was doing was for, I'm pretty, I, I don't remember the story well enough, but it could have been for God's glory. Right. And I always think of the hiding place, you know, this Christian family who actually built a hiding place in their home to rescue the Jews that were being arrested. And they had to lie and they went to the concentration camp when they were caught, you know, and I, I just, I think of that multiple times. It's like the, the underground railroad where Christians uh, were, you know, smuggling runaway slaves, slaves to out Canada. Of the South, yeah, yeah, they had to do a lot of lying too. So this is not an easy moral question, and I think it's something that, as our culture degrades and as our society becomes more rotten with sin, and <laughs> we're all going to be faced with those moral questions eventually. And so it's something we definitely have to struggle with. I would say that it comes down to the fact that we are not justified in sinning, ever. But when we do sin, God sees the motivation of our heart. And if we seek repentance, that sin is already covered by what Jesus did on the cross. And we are already yeah. saved. So yeah. that sin is not going to you know, send us to hell or anything. And we shouldn't try to sin. We shouldn't want to sin. We should avoid it as much as possible. Absolutely not. I think that's where we end up as Christians. And it is not an easy moral question. But I think in the case of leverage, kind of looping this back, I think you reap the benefits or the consequences based on the morals of your heart and the intentions of what you do. If you're a thief and you're stealing for your own benefit, eventually you're going to get caught. That's just the way it works. Even if you don't get caught in this life, you're still going to face for the it. consequences. Yeah. You're going to pay for that crime. And you know, it no matter when we sin or how we sin, it's not like it catches God by surprise. No. <laughs> no, it doesn't. He, he didn't go, "Wow, I did not see that coming." <laughs> God knew before thousands of years before you were born exactly what you were going to do when you were faced with that situation. Right. And like he promises, he makes it work to the good of those who love him. Right. And before we leave this topic, I do want to just talk a little bit about role models, because one of the things I found interesting about this particular episode Uh, was Stellar Volaire, a.k.a. the Jackal, which is the reason why the episode is called The Jackal Job, was the greatest grifter of all the world had ever seen. (laughs) And she was an inspiration for Sophie. And so Sophie, you know, just basically idolizes her through this whole, was like, oh, it's so sad that she's losing her memory and all of this kind of stuff. And I got to thinking about that from the standpoint of role models. It's like, who do we choose as role models? I mean, Sophie, obviously, she was a grifter, so her role model would be a great grifter. But, you know, who we choose as our role models really has an impact in what we do as people. Yeah, it does. And it's a good reminder also that human role models will always fail us. So we should be careful. I don't have any scripture for that, but I I would just caution us all to be careful who we 
choose to emulate in our lives. Yeah. You know, the the whole idea of role models goes back to the idea that is given in Proverbs 27, 7, iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. Mm -hmm. You're not going to take a marshmallow and try and sharpen a knife with it. Right. And likewise, if you choose the wrong stone to try and sharpen your knife, you're going to actually do a lot more damage than you are good. And the same thing applies for role models. If you choose the wrong person as a role model and they do not stand for biblical principles, that idolization is going to be far worse for you than it could have been. Yeah. Yeah. Just like your heart, it will lead you astray. Yep. Well, the next few themes that we have to discuss will be really dealing more with the social justice-ness of this episode. But before we get to them, I do want to encourage you to support the podcast. We do have some faithful supporters, Isaiah Santiano, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, David Lefton, and Peter Chapman give to us generously on a monthly basis through Patreon, which you can also use by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash areyoujustwatching. Either one will work. They'll take you to the same place. So you can sign up for a gift of anything, really, on a monthly basis, and that support helps us pay for our web fees and our hosting and the various other expenses that we have for the podcast. We do not make money doing this. This is our gift to you, but we do have expenses, and that just helps us out a little bit with our expenses. So we thank you so much to those who support us and for those who might consider supporting us. Just thank you so much, really. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd like to launch into the next series of three topics. (laughs) Like you, I noticed that Leverage, this particular episode of Leverage Redemption, was much more progressively social justice warrior oriented. Right. And this particular one had three social issues that really stand out. So in our show outlines, which... You know, the listeners don't normally get to see. I labeled them social justice issue of the week, number one, number two, and sort of number three. Yeah. <laughs> and social justice issue of the week, number one, is abuse of adult guardianship. And that's kind of the whole like master plan for this episode. Yeah. The main thing that I want to stress here is that this is not a progressive thing. Yeah. Abuse of adult guardianship is actually a very real problem. And in my research on it, I found writings from both the American Bar Association and the Virginia Bar Association, where they talk about the challenges of combating it in the legal system, including who gets to make decisions for care of adults who are no longer capable of uh, making decisions for themselves. And and it's so super sad. I'm going to interrupt just a little bit because I think it goes beyond guardianship because we live in a culture where life has really ceased to have much value in the eyes of the state and in the eyes of the population. And, And I think that that not only is it you know, the abortion issue, which we've dealt with before, but it, it really is the end of life care as well. And like in Canada now, if you reach a certain age where your medical bills start to really rack up because they have socialized medicine, they will literally send you a letter and say, would you like us to assist you in dying? 
this is something that is, I mean, what's brought up in this episode is horrible. The abuse of elderly people who have no one, no family to speak for them, to stand up for them in the disposition of their estate and the care of themselves as they age and can't make decisions for themselves. But then to have the state just say, you know what? You don't, you shouldn't be living anymore. Let's just help you die. It'd be better for everyone. Yeah. 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 If we just help you die. So this is such a broad issue that, and this is one of the reasons why this episode really attracted me is this is such a massive issue. And so back to Tim's discussion. (laughs) Well, you're still right on topic, actually. Yeah. It's even more significant. I don't know if I'm just more sensitive to it now, but it seems like every intersection median, at least here in Norfolk and Virginia Beach, has a person panhandling on it now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always had a problem saying no. So <laughs> I stopped carrying cash. Yeah. Because if I give them cash, you know, is that good stewardship? How do I know that they're not going to turn around and use it? They may not. They may use it to buy food. I want to say the last time I had trouble saying no was a woman in the Walmart parking lot who had her uh, young daughter with her. So I went in and and I bought them gift cards for food. Mm -hmm. But what about those people? Do they need guardians? Have they lost the ability to care for themselves and make decisions? It would seem so. Yeah. And maybe the reason that they don't have guardians, you know, jumping to take care of them, like they show in this episode, is because they don't have any money. And that is the abuse that's going on in this episode, is that Stella has money. And so she's been awarded to this guardian to take care of her. And he's basically just robbing her blind. He's taking everything she has of value and using it to, quote, unquote, care for her but pay for the nurse or whatever. And then he makes this, you know, very snide comment about, you don't have to worry about all your stuff. I'm going to sell the house and put you in a home. And what we know from, you know, nanny cams and undercover cameras and all this kind of stuff through the last decade or more is that a lot of elderly people who are put in homes are just treated atrociously because there's no accountability to make sure that the people who are supposedly taking care of these, a lot of times bedridden people are actually taking care of them because they don't love them. They don't, these are not their grandparents or their parents. They don't care what happens to them. It's a job. And I'm not saying that all caregivers are bad. There's a lot of, my mom has been one. It's a Mm -hmm. very tough job my hat off to the ones that really do care and really do give selflessly to care for people who have end of life issues. But there's so much abuse out there. It's just, yeah, it breaks your heart when you see these videos of people laying in bed, begging for somebody to clean their bed, you know, cause they've soiled yeah. it or bring them food or, and they're just being ignored or being slapped or beat or, or, you know, pushed around and they have no recourse. They have no way to ask for help. And so it's a tough subject. And, you know, in this particular episode, they make it clear that the two two characters doing the abuse, the judge and the career guardian, are absolute 
sleaze balls. I mean, they are so clearly bad people that you have no problem feeling anything but disdain for them. It's right. like the beginning of See How They Run, where it's being narrated by the guy who was murdered. And he <laughs> says, the first thing you do to the victim is you make him so unlikable that nobody's sad when he dies. Yeah. But in reality, you know, it's not always people who are running a scam. Sometimes it's just plain mismanagement. Sometimes it's people who... Just heartless neglect. Yeah. <laughs> so it's such a wide-ranging problem, with yeah. such a wide range of causes, yeah. that it's almost impossible to legislate. It's almost yeah. impossible to be properly judicial about it, to bring actual justice but, you know, it, it's actually something that we as Christians are specifically called to do is care for people who are unable to care for themselves. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting that the, you know, the whole premise of this episode, the beginning of it is that they're doing, like you said, Meals on Wheels, where they're taking meals to the, you know, the elderly who can't fix meals for themselves. And my parents do that on a weekly basis. They they have one day a week that they deliver Meals on Wheels. and. I was thinking about that as like, what are we doing in our churches and in our communities of faith? What are we doing to seek out those in need and helping? Because yes, the state does that. The state has taken over that job of caring for the elderly in our communities because our communities are so massive. It's hard for any particular church to make much of an impact on it. But at the same point, we should, as churches and as communities of faith, be conscious, at least for the ones in our own church, of the needs there and how we can help. And it's hard because a lot of us are, have full-time jobs and families and other responsibilities, yeah. you know, to dedicate, you know, significant time to that kind of need. But that is what we are called to do is as you know, James one twenty seven says, you know, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We are supposed to be, as communities of faith, you know, helping these people. And sometimes yeah. it just seems like a massive job that you're just not capable of doing. But at the same time, that doesn't, we shouldn't abdicate our responsibility there as well. And I don't even know what that looks like. I'm just... I'm thinking yeah. <laughs> that, especially when it comes to family members, it's like knowing, you know, what is happening with our elderly family members and paying attention to, you know, if if you have to put your mom or your grandmom or whatever into a nursing home because you're not capable of caring for them in your home, which is, you know, happens quite frequently. Yeah. Yeah. You should still be visiting them on a regular basis to make sure their needs are being met, you know? Exactly. It, you, that doesn't mean you get to neglect them. <laughs> right. Just throw them in the home and forget about them. And be discerning when you go to visit them in the home about what's going on with other elderly in the home. I mean, keep your eyes open. Be paying attention to what's going around. Be conscious of the fact that the elderly in your neighborhood may be being scammed by people. There's so many scams now that catch the elderly because they tend to be uh. a lot more gullible to cries for help or that kind of yep. thing. They get caught because they answer their phones instead of letting them go to voicemail and talk to scammers. And they answer the door when people come to the door and, and they yeah. get caught up in, in things that 
that drain their money away because they're they're just not capable of discernment in some such situation. So we just need to be conscious. Like if you know there's a scammer frequenting your neighborhood, go ahead and report them and get action taken against them so that they don't go visit the elderly person down the street and manage to scam them. So yeah. there's ways we can help. I was trying to think of biblical examples of this, and it's not exactly something I think that's necessarily dealt beyond you know, the the concept of taking care of the people in need in your community. But one of the stories from the New Testament that popped into my mind was in Acts 16, 16 through 19. I'm just going to read it. It's in a first person plural, because this is when Luke joins Paul and his missionaries. So Luke is the one writing down Acts. So after he's joined the story. So once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days, and Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And the reason why this story came to my mind was because this is a girl, most likely not a young girl because she was a slave. She was property and she was making a profit for her owners by being ill, basically. And they were taking advantage of that. And it just came to my mind because, you know, sometimes in our helping the people in need, we may be coming up against those who are profiting from that need. Yeah. And and I think that, sadly, a lot of times the state is profiting from the needs of the people in the community. So it might make us enemies, you know, if we're standing up for the poor and oppressed. But that doesn't mean that we abdicate our responsibility. I mean, Paul was and Silas were thrown into prison and I think beaten in this particular case because of yep. – of intervening in this situation. So it may not always be popular, but that doesn't mean that, that we don't do it, that we don't stand up for the people who are in need. You know, it's not really pertinent to the discussion, but I will always love the fact that Paul was annoyed by this gal. (laughs) I don't know why, but it, it makes him a whole bunch more human to me. (laughs) It's like, well, you shut up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you just, you know what? Demon, I command you to get out in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. When you first mentioned this scripture, I didn't really see the connection. But the more I think about it, the more <laughs> the more I see the connection. Yeah. It's actually a lot like what Philip and the judge are doing. Right. They're profiting off, off the, the people who uh, can't care for themselves. Yeah. But yeah, it, it really does show that when we do something right – we always risk getting in the way of somebody who is doing something not right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the the next, and I called this before you changed the name of it. This was my elephant yeah. in the room. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. About halfway through the episode, you notice in the flashbacks, as Stella tells, tries to remember her story because she has Alzheimer's. So, you know, her memory is not so good. And... As she's remembering how she became where she was, because the whole point of the story is that she does have a power of attorney, but she can't remember where she put it. And so they're taking her back through her life to try and remember where she put her power of attorney 
so that they could get her out from underneath this court appointed guardianship so that she can be taken better care of. And you find out that the mark that she fell in love with in the past, who ended up signing the power of attorney, was her lesbian lover. And so, as is the case in a lot of shows these days, they have to work in gay, lesbian, transgender, whatever. It has to be worked in because it's now become a point of identity. If these people can't see themselves in the show, the show is not speaking to their identity and therefore is uh, is bigoted because it doesn't speak to their identity because all that exists about us is our sexuality (laughs) nothing else yeah nothing else matters yeah (sighs) so from the beginning of this take on leverage so leverage redemption has a new character her name is brianna she is related in some way shape or form to the hacker from the original leverage who is you know what kind of brought us onto this whole topic to begin with. But anyway, she is a lesbian and it's, it comes out in multiple episodes. And so she's like the token identity person. She's dark skinned. She's lesbian. She, she ticks all the boxes, you know, to, to bring that social identity into the show. All she's missing is she has all her limbs, right? (laughs) Yeah. I, I know it seems really callous the way we talk about this, but it's becoming such a, a thing now in TV that it's actually making it hard to watch television because it's like you have to have this. Every show has to like have the nod towards the identity culture and it just gets so old after a while. But this episode doubles it up because Stella is also a lesbian and the whole backstory for why she can't remember who has her power of attorney is because she has forgotten her lover and the Alzheimer has stolen that. And she can't remember. She remembers it was her greatest score, but she can't remember where she put it. And they make assumptions because they know what, you know, some of the, her scores were. And so they're trying to figure out, you know, which of the scores would have been her greatest and trying to recap her story. So all of that said, the social justice issue of the week number two (laughs) (laughs) on this discussion is LGBTQ plus rights. So the premise is that she and her Mark were on the run and they moved into New Orleans because New Orleans was one of the cities in that period of time that gay people could live without. Yeah, that this was mid to late 70s when this happened, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's right there. 76, 77. Yeah, somewhere in that area. So they they were looking for a place they could run and be be a couple themselves. without yeah, themselves and have a family and as she puts it, they got married as as you know, as close as you could to in those days, which meant they signed powers of attorney for each other, so they were legally responsible for each other. Yep. And so they kind of make this point in the episode of they were in danger. Because they were lesbians and they were not only running for their lives from her, Joe is her, the person she fell in love with, Josephine. They were not only running from Josephine's husband, who was a criminal that they stole from, but that they were having to hide who they were and having to go someplace. And, and it was actually how he tracked them down was because he looked in the cities where they could be and... So it's definitely a very major plot point of which the whole thing hinges is the fact that they are lesbians. You can't like just plug a man in there and, and say, well, if they'd made Joe, Joe a Joe right. instead of a Joseph instead of a Josephine, the story wouldn't work as well. 
And that's how they did it. That's how they initially started inserting these storylines in, you know, 10 years ago is, is they, they changed the gender mm-hmm. of, but made sure that the story would work either way. So it felt more comfortable. Right. And, you know, and one of the plot points that I think fails is her husband found them because Josephine had put her real name on the power of attorney. And I'm thinking if they got married, she would have put her real name on the marriage certificate. So it's not because they did a powers of attorney that made them locatable. It was that they used their real names. Yeah. So, you know, that's either way. I mean, even if marriage had been allowed and they got really married, you know, there there was still, if they'd used their real names, that they still would have been traceable if it had been a, a wedding certificate instead of a power even of attorney. Even if they changed, changed their names, yeah. they still would have been able to, yeah. I have a little difficulty believing that Earl was able to get access to these records, you know? Yeah. (laughs) The idea that he has this much sway from London in New Orleans is just mind-boggling. Yeah. Yeah, it it was a bit of a hole, I think, in the whole premise of it. And then they made the point of saying that he had all the power because he was demanding – because. It turned out Josephine was pregnant, so she had had a baby, a little girl, and they were raising the little girl together. And all he had to say was, you give me your my stuff back or I'll take my daughter. And the whole concept was because they were a lesbian couple, they would not be able to keep the girl and that he would be able to take, yeah. the, take the daughter. And to some extent, that may be true. I don't know. Typically, family courts favor the, the mother of any child in a custody dispute. And the child was old enough to, to choose, you know, that she wanted to stay with her mom. But... Yeah. This was a situation, obviously, in a time where lesbians were definitely, I mean, gay and lesbian relationships were definitely frowned on, even from a legal standpoint. But I see where they're going with this. I understand, you know, that they're trying to make these characters sympathetic. And to some degree, I am sympathetic. It's Mm -hmm. not that I don't believe that these people should be treated like people and that they have legal rights as much as anybody else. Right, right. Just because I think that their particular relationship is a sin before God doesn't mean that I I want them to not be people. You know, they always claim that we just we we don't want them to exist. We don't want them to be non persons. I I love every single one of them, but there comes a point where trying to make them into sympathetic characters, I don't know, kind of sort of defeats the purpose. I want to stress that it's not LGBTQ people that you and I are frustrated with. What we're frustrated with is the constant insertion of their values into our entertainment in such a way that it... Normalizes it. Yeah, it normalizes it and often makes our Christian worldview out to be the villain. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a progressive force that seeks to villainize biblical standpoint that we're frustrated with. It is never the people, the people, because we have to remember unsaved, unrepentant people who have not been redeemed by Christ are incapable of understanding true love. Yeah. They're incapable of understanding why it is that the way they're feeling, as real as it may be, 
does not glorify God. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because this comes kind of in a historical point because our government has just passed, what is it, the... Defense of Marriage Act. The I Defense think is what of it's Marriage Act, yeah. And it's it's not the Defense of Marriage because basically what it does is it makes marriage meaningless. I mean, marriage now has no meaning in our culture and in our state and our government. It Anybody who wants to marry anything can marry anything. And to be honest, this is we've been going down this path for a really long time. It's, marriage really has became meaningless when they came out with no-fault divorce. So, yep. from a Christian standpoint, when we allowed even divorce into the church, because the state allowed it, we, we've basically already written off marriage, and now marriage has no meaning whatsoever. It's it's just a legal document. It has has no meaning from a governmental social standpoint. But that doesn't mean that we can't have marriage mean something within the Christian fellowship. It just means we have right. to divorce what we consider marriage from what the rest of the world considers marriage. That doesn't even mean that there aren't non-Christians out there who put a great weight on their marriage vows. Yeah. Because <laughs> the marriage vows are representative of how the world is supposed to be. Yeah. It's the natural law. I mean, this is the way God intended it to be, and it would have been had the fall not occurred. And, you know, and I think a lot of – I'll probably step on some toes when I say this. One of the quotes that was in the show was where Stella's talking about how she came to love Josephine. This was a conversation between the two of them early on in their relationship. It says, it's been a long time since I had a friend. And I know I'm not I'm not used to people being nice for no reason. That's all. I'm sorry. You really don't want anything from me? Just a friend? So this was a back and forth conversation between the two of them where they realized that they needed that intimate friendship. And then switching back from the flashback, they said, but it wasn't long until friends became something more. And I think that that is a lot where this gay lesbian, I I can't speak to the transgender thing because I think that's a completely different issue. In fact, I think it is too. Most gays and lesbians are annoyed by the whole transgender thing. So I don't think they like having the, the T tacked on to the LGB. But I think a lot of this gay lesbians thing that's going on in our culture today is a, a misunderstanding of what intimate friendship is. And I think I have said this before in previous episodes where it's just like sin taints everything. It's like there's every relationship that we can have under God can be tainted by sin. And I think yes. that the gay lesbian preferences are basically a sin tainted version of intimate friendship. And I think we need intimate friendship. I think that's demonstrated scripturally. I think it was like with David and Jonathan, that very close brotherhood, intimate relationship that they had, which a lot of people say now was a, a gay relationship, which I disagree with. Yes. I think that we all need people of the same sex in which we have very close intimate relationships with that are not sexual. Yeah, absolutely. But sin taints those and they turn them into, oh, I love this person, so therefore I must have sexual intercourse with this person. And it just takes it that step further than what should be proper in the way God designed our bodies. So I, I probably get kicked back for that, but that's that's my position on on the LG, the LGB anyway of LGBTQ+. Yeah. Plus. 
You know, it reminds me of when Harry met Sally. Harry was constantly arguing that men and women could not be friends. Do you remember that at all? Did you ever see that movie? Yeah, I did. It's been many, many years since I've seen yeah, that same movie. Here. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think I get your point. You know, it's like men and women. And, and I kind of ran into that a little bit, you know, going back to the early beginnings of this podcast. Daniel and I were both single individuals who enjoyed watching movies together. And he had the misfortune of getting married and I didn't. So <laughs> I should say the fortune, <laughs> not the misfortune. But he got married. And that turned what was a very platonic friendship between us into an issue because now he had a right. wife. It became a, a source of jealousy mm. or a pot- potential source. Of, yeah, I of don't jealousy. think it, it ever got to that point. It was uh, Daniel was wise and saying, you know, I'm getting married now, yep. so we can't go see movies together anymore. And And I thoroughly yeah. understood that. So this is something I think that as Christians, we should guard ourselves against, you know, is the appearance of evil, taking things. I've thought about this, you know, with being a single woman and having, you know, girlfriends that I do stuff with, Mm -hmm. you know, what the world sees when they look at that, you know, I go out to eat with a girlfriend or whatever. It's like, they take that to a whole nother meaning than what it is for me, you know? And you try to apply the Billy Graham rule to that and you're (laughs) very lonely. Very lonely. Yeah. So, this is just one of those things that I think we all have to be sensitive to. And yeah. it's unfortunate that sin twists and, and uh, corrupts pretty much everything it touches. And so I think that those kind of friendships are necessary and good. But, and then they, they take that one step too far and then they become, I mean, it's the same thing with adultery. I mean, to be honest, it's like a man who is married to a woman who uh-huh. goes with another woman. I mean, he loves women. So if if we're saying that being well, a, a a gay is wrong, well being an adulterer is wrong too. I mean it's it's the same sin, really. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to comment on and I, I know we've talked about the four types of love in the past, so yeah. I won't rehash that. But I wanna say that when we see the LGBT force, you know, the social lobby distort the idea of love, we have to remember that most of them really can't see what they're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) I hold accountable even more those who claim to serve God, but feel to demonstrate God's love to the people who can't know better. The, oh, that the church you're talking Baptist about. group, yeah, yeah, the Baptist church group that goes and and I haven't uh, heard much of them recently. Something I haven't either, have, not a yeah. while. But there are still people out there who, <laughs> you know, will go and and they use the law of God as a hammer, and they just exactly they beat people up with it, and that is definitely not the face of Jesus that we wish to present to the world. Yes, people are sinners, and yes, they need to repent. But we are not the judgment of God on their sin. We are his witnesses of salvation. And if we're spending so much time judging sin of unbelievers who are unregenerate sinners for a reason, <laughs> yep, we can't force them to be good people. 
we just all we can do is share the gospel with them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, this is an issue that we could talk on forever. So it's not something that, that we can solve right away. But I do want to make one little point since I, I mentioned Daniel and, and the reason why we no longer do podcasts. I'm not sure whether any of you have noticed from listening because we sound like we're in studio together. But Tim and I actually live three states oh. away from each other and we have never met in person. So even though he is married and I am single, there is no presence of sin in our <laughs> hosting of this podcast. Not so. even not even an opportunity for it. Yes, exactly. And I promise once we do get together and I come up and, and see the stuff up there that I've been wanting to see, my <laughs> wife will be with me. Yep. Yeah. I would like to meet your wife too. So that's we're, figure we're, out we're, how uh, she's been able to put up with me so long. <laughs> Before we move on, I do want to remind you to share your feedback. We do have multiple ways of doing that. So you can comment in our show notes, which for this episode will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 135. You could call us and leave a voicemail or send a text to 513-818-2959. And we do actually encourage you to do that because that number is a Google voice number. And if it isn't used on a frequent basis, we actually will lose the number. So we do encourage you to... To go ahead, I mean, if, if you appreciated this episode, just send us a text and said, hey, I really enjoyed that episode, or hey, I really wish yes, you please. would do a review on this movie that I just saw or whatever. So we, we love that input. You can email feedback at areyoujustwatching.com, and you can send us audio files if you would like to take part. And if somebody sent us a review of something, an audio file of it, we would plug it into an episode. We'd love to hear what you guys are doing, whether you're learning how to approach what you uh, watch critically, because that's kind of the whole point of our asking the question, are you just watching? We want to know if you're just watching. And if you have taken in some of the things that we do, you know, apply, uh, you know, picking out the themes and talking about what you're watching from a Christian worldview, we'd love to hear you do that as well. So please contact us. Now, we've mentioned several times through this episode already that Stella has Alzheimer's. Yeah. And I had labeled this as social justice issue of the week three, but it's not really a social justice issue. It's yeah. just a social issue. It's a medical and, issue. Yeah. It's there it's a it's an issue. <laughs> and you know, it touches so many people. It's, yes, it does. I've had relatives who suffered from Alzheimer's badly. Growing up, we had my aunt Elizabeth who was so good with us. And, you know, I was less than 10 when mm -hmm. we lived near her. So, you know, to a to an eight or nine-year-old, somebody who's in their 60s, it, you know, <laughs> it feels like <laughs> it's somebody in their hundreds. <laughs> right, yeah. But, you know, she taught us to play card games and caroms, and she was just so so ever present she only lived like four blocks from us so we got mm. to go over there and, and spend afternoons and there's a a french card game called mealborn which is a, a driving game which i really enjoy she actually taught it to us hmm. but right about the time we were moving from where we were living in new jersey to our new home in michigan she started suffering from alzheimer's and it was it became clear, even to my 10-year-old self, what was going on. Yeah. 
And now just recently, a, a good friend from church lost her husband to Alzheimer's. Mm. And it, I knew both of them well. Mm -hmm. And Karen would tell him stories about, you know, he would just, he'd lose it. And one time, I think she said, he pulled the cabinets off the wall. He was so angry. Because mm. Alzheimer's isn't just about memory. It's an actual degradation of brain capability to moderate. And it can involve incredibly fierce fits of anger mm -hmm. and violence. And there's nothing you can do about it. And the people, they're, they're not responsible for it. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, there are Alzheimer's patients who have done very serious damage and killed people. Mm. And it's a very real issue. It, it, I was looking at some facts before it, as we were prepping for this section. And two of the facts that I found were um, by 2050, uh, and I might have read this already, but by 2050, the number of people age 65 and older with Alzheimer's dementia is projected to reach 12.7 million. Wow. And Alzheimer's disease was officially listed as the sixth leading cause of death in 2019. I, I mean, it, it's just, and, you know, I, I don't know how I would handle it. Yeah. Well, I guess the, the only redeeming factor of Alzheimer's is that the patients themselves don't, I don't think they quite understand I mean, it's not like they're they're sitting there going, "Oh, I've forgotten who you are." Oh, this, I dis I disagree. You disagree? I don't. I just yeah, don't know. To some extent, it's like I know that uh, some people, when they lose their memory, it's just like they don't realize how much they've lost, or they they don't miss it because it's lost, kind of thing. But when it comes back to them, yeah, it's pain. It's so painful. When, yeah. when they realize, and you know, they sort of showed that in the episode when yeah. Stella called it her thief, and but I don't think they gave it enough weight. Yeah. I've seen grown men burst into tears over this. They did say that she was in early stages, so they weren't, yeah. they weren't showing Very her true. with advanced uh, Alzheimer's. Yeah. She was just enough that she was losing critical pieces of information. Very plot convenient critical pieces of information. Yeah, yeah, it, uh, like where she put their powers of attorney in. Yeah. And and they were able to like tease the, you know, their memories back out of her so she could remember them again. And I don't think that's always the case. I think a lot of times yeah. once they're gone, they're gone. But I think the the most amazing thing that I have seen in the Christian community, it's probably been in the the secular community too. I think the notebook was based on this as well is is the the spouse who stays with their spouse, whether it's a, a woman or a man, who stays with them through the yeah. full extent of this disease. Because it's got to be so painful to to be married to somebody who doesn't even know who you are anymore, and who fights you because they think you're a stranger, or, yep. or wanders away and you have to worry about where they went because they got out of the house and, and their memory takes them to weird places, you know. So, yeah, I, I think that, that there's nothing more beautiful in the sin kissed world we live in than the, than that kind of ultimate love that it takes to stay with somebody in that condition. And, and it's, just, you know, they do it. Yeah. I mean, that really is unrequited love. Yeah. I don't know how much we can address this from 
scripture except to say that this is sin's curse on our yeah on our it's biological just the clearest beings. mark of the fall yeah <laughs> and that as our minds go through diseases like Alzheimer's that it doesn't affect the salvation that the heart is already right. saved and when we have our new bodies when we're made whole in Christ we are made whole completely whole yeah so and this is a good reminder coming out of this you know topic and we we can get very maudlin about this so i'm just going <laughs> to move on yeah. but it, <laughs> it is a good reminder as we approach our elderly our parents and even ourselves as we grow old or not even as we grow old because sometimes the, so, some of the stuff strikes even yeah. fairly early we should be conscious of what we can do responsibly from a legal standpoint to be prepared for such things. So in the story, you know, she had a power of attorney. She had somebody who had the legal responsibility to take care of her as she lost her mind, but it was lost. And that person didn't know she was losing her mind. We have to be, I think, more careful about setting our lives in order and to, I mean, I'm, I'm pointing a bunch of fingers at myself. I don't even have a living will. Mm. I think it's something that we should conscientiously take care of and, and be responsible about because, you know, seeing the abuse of elderly and, you know, especially somebody who's suffering from Alzheimer's in this episode, I think it's important that we take the lesson from that, that we do need to be conscious about wills and powers of attorney and trusts and estates and all this kind of stuff. We are not promised another day. We never know when the Lord's going to call us home and how we live our lives and what we leave for those who come after us is important. And we know that the only certainty in life is death. (laughs) Yep. And, you know, planning for the future, I'd, I've I've heard Christians say, it's like, how do you plan for the future when the Lord could come at any time? You know, we're we're supposed to be hoping and praying for the return of our Christ. And I'm like, yeah, we should plan as if we're going to live forever, but at the same time, live as if every day is our last day, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, hope we don't, but that wasn't quite right, because we will. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So we will live forever in some way, but we're not... (laughs) fragile human life that we live that's so subject to sin and the horrors of sin that, you know, going home to be with the Lord would be a blessing in most senses. But as Christians, we don't seek that, but we should plan for it. And we should always be aware of those who are dependent on us. So, and, you know, take care of those things. Well, I think that pretty much deals with this episode. This We are recording this the week before Christmas. Hopefully we get it out before Christmas. I don't know whether we are. But regardless of when this episode airs, we wish all of our listeners a blessed Christmas and many blessings in the new year. And Amen. We will see you back in January. Thank you so much for listening. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. The Christian Podcast Community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, 
evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. ChristianPodcastCommunity.org.